Filibuster received sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Guys, everyone, we've got to stop using a phrase that doesn't mean anything. Wait, wait, wait. Should we get the audio intervention banner up for this? I don't know what that means. When you hold an intervention, you get a big banner that says intervention. I don't think you get a big banner. I think that's an Arrested Development thing. They happen in other sitcoms. They happen in other TV shows. Uh, I, I don't think we need banner, Michael. Uh, to have this intervention. Um, But look, the phrase Benny ball hasn't been relevant or descriptive of anything in seven years. Please stop using it. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, it doesn't apply to a defensive performance because it's also been used to describe like 2016 or 2018 DC United. You can't do both of those things. The word has to mean a certain tactical idea like the Benny ball came from Portland people describing Caleb Porter's teams as Porter ball, but Caleb Porter for all his failings was trying to do something specific home and away over and over again. It didn't work long-term, but he was trying to do that. Um, Ben Olson has not been trying to do the same thing um, for most of the time. He has been switching back and forth. He's tried to play good soccer. And then when it doesn't work, he's gone a different way. You can't apply it. Like the whole thing is that he's a pragmatist. So therefore he's not doing the same thing. So you can't describe his tactics as Benny ball without it not meaning anything. So don't use this word. That doesn't mean anything. I'm straight up begging you people to stop using that word. Thank you. And because this is 2019, I'm pretty sure Jason just guaranteed many people will be using that term. If because uh, I assume I'm going to receive like Twitter ads immediately upon people hearing this. I'm going to know they're listening to the show because they're going to start using it in my mentions. Are you uh, inviting it? I am not. Uh, I will scold you uh, for this. Um, do not uh, do you, this. Will you go full Clinton Yates if people at you? Uh, no, I'm not going to take I'm not going to take his uh, his his shtick. That is his thing. Uh, we try not to steal bits on this show. Um, That's true. I'm not going to. Also, he has like an actual segment on a national TV network, uh, whereas <laughs> I do not. On that so yeah. uh, out of respect, I, I will avoid that. But, uh, you know, I'll scold you. And I don't know what I'm going to do, but uh, I'll do something. I guess we'll find out. Ben, what will you do if people come into Jason's mentions? Um, Just shame them. It's it's. I agree. I it's you're not going to do nothing. <laughs> no, I, I I will okay. I will I will stand for Jason and his anti Benny Ball stances. It's it's it's. I mean, twenty GD nineteen. It's time to come up with a new phrase. Like it, like Jason said, it doesn't mean anything. So let's come up with a new descriptor if we have to. But we're I mean, not the going phrase, to. You have to come. No, no, don't help them, Adam. Don't help them. I'm not. I'm not. I'm going the other way. The phrase was always a cipher. It meant whatever the person saying it wanted it to mean and nothing more or less. The, 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 there was never a universally agreed upon 
meaning for for the term Benny Ball because he's a pragmatist, because he does different things, both in approach and tactics within the same season. And you can say that's a drawback uh, of his coaching philosophy. You can say it's part of why he was able to overperform with with bad rosters. Um, it goes it, it can go both ways. But but the I, I remember trying to come up with a unified idea of what Benny Ball was and just it, it, it never worked. Um, I tried engaging with the term and it, it didn't work because it doesn't mean anything uh, beyond what the speaker has in their head. It doesn't convey that meaning to somebody else. And so towards the end of 2012. That was so long ago. And then 2013 happened. Yes. And then it became completely useless. Yeah, and it that's has true. been ever since. Yeah. Um, when a season like 2013 comes around, it kind of wipes the slate for everybody because it's, uh, it's ruinous to everyone. So um, we should accept that and have all moved on some time ago. Anyway, Ben Ben's going to try to defend Jason's mentions. I'm not. I'm going to pop some popcorn <laughs> and just watch the world burn. That's where I am. Anyway, hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United, and come into Jason's Mentions podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we talk about DC United on the internet. And that's what we're doing tonight on the internet. Uh, this is a podcast on the internet. And tonight we are talking about DC United's one nothing win over the Portland Timbers. The second segment, we'll, we'll have a friend on to discuss and help us preview the upcoming visit from the Seattle Sounders to Audi field. Uh, watch that game Sunday night, 8 PM. If you can't get down to buzzard point, check it out on flow FC. If you're inside the the blackout radius, if you're not ESPN plus is the option for you before we talk about anything else, we can talk about Jason's mentions more, or I can ask you, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I went out uh, not too long before uh, we started recording. Actually, um, I was looking for something maybe like sour or something. I found a Goza I really want to try, but it was only available warm. So that's sitting in my fridge. I'll drink that next week on the show. Um, in the meantime, I also picked up something I hadn't seen before, which is uh, Duclaw Brewing is making a beer called Regular Beer. The, descriptor, the description is a beer that tastes like beer. Uh, I'm going to show you guys the can. The label oh. is white with black print. Um, that is not the first beer I've seen like that. Yeah. Uh, it, it looks like a prop beer from a movie. Like if you've ever seen repo man, they're um, sort of uh, famous for its prop design in that all the brands are just like the can of beer just says is white label with black lettering. It says beer. Um, it's like a 1990s health textbook. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it is a take on basically your, your um, Budweiser or Yingling style beer, but it's Duclaw doing, their best to sort of elevate it. Uh, it's fine. Um, I, I have to be honest. I chuckled at the label and then found myself walking up to the register with it. And I don't know what happened in between there, but uh, they got me with the branding. Uh, they, they got me. Yeah. I can't remember who did it. Um, there was another brewery that was selling white cans with black letters on it, but it was mm -hmm. called pub beer. And it was basically when they had extra capacity and their brewers wanted to make something for them to drink. They made an American style lager, mm -hmm. um, just like throwback old Czech German American style lager. Right. And, and that's what they drank in the brewery and they would give it to their friends when their friends would come hang out in the brewery. And eventually they were like, you should 
make this a real thing. And so they did. And they put as little effort into the branding as they could. And right. then just told this story on the label. They sold it in 18 packs that were not much more than uh, a, a 12 pack from, from anyone else. Right. And so it was like, yeah, this is easy drinking beer that tastes good and comes in a higher volume than, than this, other good beers. Sure. This is definitely, can, it's definitely better than Budweiser, but also like if you had three of them and then tried to do a taste test, you might not be able to tell the difference after three. Um, yeah. So it's not much better. It's close. But, yeah. That, you know, that's kind of where the pub local beer brewing and too. it's, it's, it's perfectly fine. Uh, yeah. It's a perfectly cromulent beer. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's apple season. Um, even it if is. the weather doesn't want to admit that it's fall, it is late enough in the season now that you can go to the farmer's market and get apples or indeed apple cider, which my family did this weekend. And so I am drinking apple cider with some Sazerac rye in it. And it's, uh, it's pretty tasty. It's a nice little beverage. I wish it was a few degrees colder so I could really enjoy it or enjoy it warm, but it's iced and it's, it's still pretty good. I like it. Ben. I went to the ABC store today and I saw on sale uh, Belmont Farm Copper Kettle Virginia Whiskey. It claims to be a four-year aged whiskey uh, in oak, white oak barrels and uh, uh, apple barrel. Okay. And it's okay. Like, it doesn't finished taste... Finished in an apple barrel or... Yeah, yeah. Finished okay. in an apple barrel. Not, not apple flavored. They have a different whiskey that's apple flavored. Like made with apple cider. Okay. Uh, this is not that, but it doesn't. This is okay. It doesn't taste four year age. It tastes younger than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's fine, and I enjoy uh, Virginia whiskey. Uh, it's from Culpeper, Virginia. Can, you, can so. you hold it up to the camera? Not that this will help any of our listeners. Okay. I just when you said it was younger uh, or it tasted younger, I was thinking maybe it might be a little more pale. Yeah. I mean, it is more pale than than other things I see. Sure. It's definitely more tawny than brown. If we want right. to get yes. real nerdy. Exactly. Wait, that, it's that one's for our listeners. Yes, yeah, so you gave a descriptor uh, other than like my opinion, which is not really that descriptive. It, you know, it, it's it's a little lighter than I than I thought, but not that. Well, I'm light. not going to tell you what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as always, we are experts of the audio medium. Now that we have the ability to see each other again. Right. Um, we are very good at overcoming this, this information um, disconnect with our listeners. That's what, and talking about it just makes it better. That's my experience with radio. Adam, stop taking, please. <laughs> Putting down the shovel and turning to soccer. DC United went into Portland and did something they'd only done once before. And that's when Sunday night, uh, a bill to Leoma, Tui Loma, excuse me, own goal was the difference. DC United rolled out a lot of Portland pressure and uh, some bad officiating to get the three points. It's good enough to keep them in fifth after Toronto FC's come from ahead win against the Colorado Rapids uh, over the weekend. So uh, both teams are tied on 45 points. Toronto has a tiebreaker ahead of DC United. I think the second tiebreaker goal differential is, is where they're, they're separated right now. Um, so we've, uh, you know, United got to some work to do to to claim a, a home game, get in the top four, but they're still sitting right there on the cusp. Uh, I guess we'll we'll start at the beginning of this one. Lineups: uh, Lucho and Leo Hara on the bench again. 
Knaus in defense and and Paul Ariola playing that that central attacking midfield role. Rooney up top. Kamara was a late scratch. We're told uh, due to some hamstring tightness, he had been slated to start. They pulled him because of the tightness and then ultimately scratched him from the lineup completely. Um, I guess thoughts on on the lineup and and what you thought about the thought process going into this. I mean, uh, if if what we heard, which was uh, on the broadcast, they were saying that um, Kamara was going to start and Rooney was not going to start. Um, I think that's a bit, it's a bit suspect at the start of the game um, because I feel like most of us, I think Ben and I both had the same projected lineup um, in our two posts um, that had Rooney playing as the 10 and Ariola on the wing and Segura getting dropped. Um, before the game, I would have said, yeah, the, this is hard to justify. Like, no disrespect to Segura, um, who has done a lot this year. I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves. But at the same time, uh, there's a yeah, final product. That usually, level. <laughs> yeah, there's a final product that lacks. Um, and in a game where we're talking about going on the road against Portland, who are missing their two best center backs, um, set pieces are pretty important. Segura doesn't really bring anything on set pieces. Rooney obviously does. Um, so yeah, it would have been a very curious decision, uh, if that's how things had played out. Um, I will say that when we'll get into Rooney's performance later and, and relative to Segura, I thought Segura was pretty good. Um, you have to give him credit for getting, getting the job done on, not just on the creating the own goal, but in general being, a a pest and, and putting the ball in dangerous spots, making some good runs. Um, so, you know, if you're going to see a decision like this, you'd like to at least see, the guy that gets to stay in under questionable uh, circumstances, at least he um, justified it. Um, but yeah, uh, I can see the thought process of holding out Kamara in an, um, you know, we're talking downpour uh, rain conditions on turf. Um, it's a non-conference game. Uh, the other games coming up are all more important because they're either at home or against teams from the East. So yeah, I, I, might feel differently if the result were different. Um, but yeah, um, I think it's kind of strange that Rooney and Acosta both, both could be possibly not starting uh, if Kamara is healthy. Um, that's an awfully big decision from uh, Ben Olsen. It's uh, something I did not expect to see at any point, but maybe that's where we are right now. Yeah. It, it seems like he really likes the idea of Paul Ariola in that 10 spot to be and in mm-hmm. the the parallel I've heard from from Matt Doyle among others is Latif blessing for uh, LAFC where he just presses in that spot and puts his work right there and just makes himself a pest it, it, a little reminiscent of Stu Holden back in the day that it almost advanced destroyer position there and I can see that but at the same time I I more clearly see the argument for Kamara and Rooney starting together and finding a way to make that happen because you're going to have to score goals at some point. Um, you're not going to get one or two own goals a game for the the entire run in. So getting some offense on the field would be, would be very nice. And Segura occasionally pops up, but not enough for the, not enough to sacrifice. Uh, some of these other guys. Well, yeah. And I think that playing Paul Ariola in an advanced destroyer role or in uh, a role like that really 
negates the things that he's good at. He is making runs that nobody on this team, nobody else on this team is making and really runs that nobody on this team is even recognizing. He could have had uh, a couple of dangerous uh, breaks throughout this game, but he made the pass and then he made the run and then nobody else picked up the pat- the run that he made and, and supplied him with the pass. And the and time so, he did, he got in behind and right. Steve Clark making a better save than he may have made his entire time in DC. Um, and he made some good saves in DC, but this one was a, a very good save on Paul Ariola. Right. And so I, I, as I always come back to, as is my want, I think he is his best playing on the wing and, so not at fullback. Adam, <laughs> don't test me. I just canceled the podcast. I'm sorry, everyone. But uh, down the stretch, I mean, you've got Wayne Rooney, you've got Lucho Acosta, you've got options to play Paul Ariola back out on the wing. Uh, we can get it. Well, we will get into both of their plays uh, probably a little later in the podcast. Definitely Rooney, but. Ben Olsen has options to put Paul Ariola back on, out on the wing, and that's not negating what uh, Ulysses Segura, Segura has done. Uh, he probably deserves to start over uh, T.T. Rodriguez right now, who has done very little over the past number of games, but they need to find a different option in the middle so that Paul Ariola can play on the wing and hopefully get the passes that a Wayne Rooney or a Lucho Acosta can provide him. Yeah, well, let's talk about. I'm, oh, go ahead. I, I'm not as sure that playing in the middle takes away what Ariel is good at because he has a lot of freedom to move um, when he's on the right. He he kind of has that um, the the willingness that he has to cover that extra ground and make uh, more hard runs than most other players. Um, more quantity wise, not harder runs, but just a higher total of hard runs. Um, it makes him hard to track whether he's on the right or in the middle. Um, I find myself wondering if it's, if it's just more about, um, for Olsen right now, wanting to have more physical speed, um, be valuing that over just about everything else at the moment. Um, it does make me wonder though, um, at home, if you, if, if he's going to value Ariola in that, that 10 role, which is as much about his ability to press and get free uh, in open field as it is about creating anything on his own. Um, You do have the option, like Wayne Rooney has played wide. Um, You do have the option of playing a very fluid lineup where Rooney is technically the right winger, but not really. Um, He and Ariola can just sort of float in and out of their spots uh, at will. Um, So there are other ways to attack this problem um, than putting Rooney on the bench. Um, but for the moment, I mean, it looks like that's what was going to happen if not for Kamara's hamstring getting tight, um, which leaves Olsen with a really, really interesting lineup choice to make, uh, this coming Sunday. You, you mentioned the fluidity and we see that now too. Um, TT Rodriguez has a lot of fluidity and we maybe even see more out of the, the central midfield. Um, just even if it's just rotations to cover, um, I when the goal happened, uh, when when Segura got forward to to put the cross in, and it it went in for an own goal. TT Rodriguez was deep on the right yes. side, uh, covering for Junior Moreno, who was in the box. He was making the run in the box on that play, which was very confusing. Um, 
but it, it worked out obviously. Um, let, let's talk about Rooney now. Um, he did not have his best performance in this game. In fact, it <laughs> may have been one of his worst performances uh, in which he was not thrown out of the game uh, since he arrived in DC. I, 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 I just don't know what to, to make of it. Part of it, I think, was that he was heavily uninvolved because DC United had so little of the ball and had a lot of trouble transitioning forward. So he didn't have a platform to work with, but he just wasn't that effective regardless. He made one good run and ended up getting a yellow card at the end of it because he committed a foul, which I understand his frustration because he was pulled and tripped and hugged for the duration of his run. And then he finally fights back. And uh, I don't think he, I don't think he was fouled. I think he committed multiple fouls trying to hold. He he initially got past Tuiloma and then, used his right arm to basically um, bat at and hold off Twilom as long as he could until he lost. And then shove him. Um, And, and then kick the ball away, which is actually what got him. That's what got him the yellow was the frustration Uh, because he, he didn't just kick the ball away gently. He crushed the ball away from him, uh, which is a great way to get a card. Yeah. Um, But yeah, in general, he was, he was too stagnant for me. Um, And I, I think that was the big problem was that, um, United kept, especially as the second half wore on, um, kept doing well to finally force a bad pass or an interception. And you'd have a defender pick their head up and make the first pass to a midfielder. And then the midfielder in a crowd of Timbers players would have a moment to look up and look for somebody getting open, doing something. And there just wasn't an option. He just wasn't getting himself free to be an option to pass out of the back. And so DC would just sort of clear the ball up field and then have to reset and defend all over again. Um, to me, that was very frustrating. Um, and it wasn't just Rooney, to be clear. That that kind of was happening to the entire front four as the game wore on. Um, and, and, when, and when someone did get free, it was usually Ariola and his teammates usually didn't reward him for doing so. Yes. Um, never more so than that late uh, Ameriqua, uh just missing having Ariola wide open in the box, you know, six yards away from, him. he just never even looked in his direction. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the combination of those two factors, the not having an option. And then when you do have an option, not seeing it was frustrating. And I think Rooney's play was kind of emblematic of that because ultimately he had to be the guy getting open and he wasn't really. So I'm going to throw a hot take out there. Oh no. I think that DC United dodged a bullet by Wayne Rooney on, on, on the field bullet by Wayne Rooney going back to England for next season because he's played badly the last handful of games. Uh, he's basically lost all of his uh, uh, acceleration, his speed. He also lost that at the end of his last Everton season. And so with those two data points and him turning 35 next year, I'm not certain he has a full MLS season, at least with the way that how often Ben Olsen wants to play him uh, left in him. And so if the, if in the off season, they can turn him into Ola Kamara and uh, another uh, DP level player, and that's for the off season and a whole other uh, kettle of fish, they might on the field, turn out a slightly better team. Obviously losing Rooney from an off the field standpoint is still a huge loss. That's unquestionable, but 
I think they may, if they can make a good signing in the offseason to complement Ola Kamara, may be net better on the field than the Rooney of the last month, month and a half. Yeah, if this is actually a product of fatigue, which can make a pretty solid case, I think. Well, should I, he still be fatigued, though? I mean, he hasn't really all, had Yeah, they were off for much. two weeks. Yeah, um, but I mean, the, suspension the, culminant, well. the cumulative fatigue of the year. Um, but yeah, what, he shouldn't be fatigued month? right now. So I don't know. Right. I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I, I wonder if it's not even fatigue. I think, I think he's distracted. Um, it's not a lack of commitment. I think it's just a lack of mentally blocking everything else out and locking in on, on just the soccer side. Um, maybe fatigue is part of it, or maybe um, knowing that his next move is already settled is part of it. I don't know. Um, yeah. But this, this performance was rough. Um, I will say his set piece delivery was good and it ended up playing uh, a pretty big factor in what should have been a second goal. Um, and I believe he ended up leading the team in key passes because of his set piece delivery. Um, so that part's a positive, but yeah, it's gotta be better. Um, if he's, if he's going to maintain his spot in the lineup, yeah, he did. He actually had half of DC's key passes, but they were all from, from set pieces. Um, also shout out to Frederick Briant, who had a key pass from inside his own half somehow. Um, Excellent. (laughs) But yeah, I think um, that was to to Paul Areola. That was actually a ball on the ground, no less. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Areola used it to run ball. into... Yeah. Um, um, one thing I noticed from Rooney in this one, several times he ma- was making a run in the box and would pull up short. Mm-hmm. And I that's a thing you can do when you know there are other runners to, to continue that first run. And I said it many times, the near post run is called the first run for a reason. Without it, other runs tend to matter a lot less. And, and Rooney would he'd be either going to the front post or the back post either way. And he would pull up short and either look for a cutback or just stop. And I want to see him finish a run sometimes Um, changing it up from time to time. Sure. But someone's got to finish that first run. Um, Now we've talked about the lack of high performance from, from Rooney. What did you guys think when the subs came on? Ameriqua came on for Rooney. Lucho came on for TT Rodriguez. And I thought they were able to play a little bit more. They obviously didn't control the game or anything because Portland is throwing everything forward. But that's when we saw Paul Ariola get forward for, for what could have been his goal. Um, were it not for Steve Clark's save, we saw United kill off stoppage time pretty effectively with a couple of corner kicks. And just they they had a little bit more of the ball, I thought, after those guys came on and it, it they were able to be m- more of a release valve than than the starting lineup had been i mean i think at this point it uh, starting lucho and benching either uh rodriguez or segura deserves a a chance at this point it the team has won the past two games but it's not like like at least in this game and the game and basically the game's not, not including the Montreal game. They haven't been blowing the doors off of anybody. Uh, and so I think Lucho deserves a shot again. And I think TT has been the most underwhelming uh, of the attackers for this, pa- these past couple of games. So I think if you put Ariola there and bring Lucho back in, uh, Lucho has been, making the incisive passes that most many people have not uh, in his place. 
from the sub role the past couple of games. I mean, I, we all know he struggled in the doldrums of summer, but I think his his substitute performance the past few games uh, and his balance of work makes him deserve a, another chance. Uh, I think part of the reason that the subs seemed to change the game was that the Timbers ran out of gas. Um, they also, uh, th- the Portland substitutions, uh, once they brought in Flores for Villafania, they went to three in the back um, and they had, um, it wasn't just three in the back. It was Morero was still playing as a right back and Dielna basically went out as a left back and they left uh, Tuiloma all by himself as the, a lone center back um, in the way that you tell people not to play a back three. It's not supposed to work like this, but when you're down one, nothing at home, um, it doesn't really, you're kind of throwing the kitchen sink. Um, so technically Portland had their, uh, my look at it, it looked like a three, two, uh, four, one, but Chara and, um, I guess it was Paredes in it at the end. Um, they weren't really doing much defensively. Um, and so there were a lot of spaces that were there that hadn't been there earlier in the game. Um, I will say Lucho did more off the ball than I expected. Um, he did make himself available in, in pockets of space that DC wasn't getting out of players previously. So he did a good job of that. Um, at the same time, I think the way the game was going, United could have killed the game off with a simple ball over the top to Emmanuel Boateng. Um, and I still think that would have been a more useful sub than, um, what they ended up doing. Uh, they ended up surviving. So it's sort of hard because it, it panned out um, in the end. And they also did almost kill the game off anyway with Ameriqua, um not only missing Ariola, but if his layoff to, um, was that Rodriguez that was coming up? Or um, was that Lucho on the, no, it must've been Lucho. Um, yeah. But yeah, his layoff was imprecise and also was the wrong choice. But if they or get they that play, go ahead. Or they could have killed it off with the goal that was wrongly disallowed. Well, yeah, yeah, but um, but the subs, um, I thought they did a, a pretty good job for what they were asked to do, but I think we have to recognize that um, Portland ran out of gas, and I think they hit that wall of frustration that we've seen. We've seen D.C. against Montreal and against the Galaxy um, when they've coaxed teams into this dumb um, attempt a billion crosses at Briant and Burnbaum and, and then wonder why it didn't work uh, game plan. When you can trick teams into playing that way, uh, they get frustrated and they eventually lose their edge. And I think part of the success of Ameriqua and, and Acosta in this game is down to the fact that Portland basically kind of threw their hands up in, in disgust. I think that they were still trying, but they were also discouraged. And I think it United needed fresh legs. And I think any fresh legs would have helped at that point. Um, so for me, it's less, a little less about the players that came in and a little more about um Portland just not knowing what to do, um, which, uh, I mean, Portland finished that game with 23 shots and did not even have uh, one expected goal. They finished with a 0.91 with 23 shot attempts. Um, that's bad. That's bad soccer. Uh, they did a bad job, all of them, including their coach. And your uh, and the forcing crosses into Briant and Burnbaum strategy works uh, just as well, if not better, when you also have Russell Knauss back there to also head things away. 
Well, and yeah, you have you have Mora and Kanaus who can both close down crossers. You can't just let them cross from the outside. You have to have guys who are quick enough to keep the game very narrow and then get out to close down the crosser. And that's something that DC United's been pretty good at because they they do kind of rope a dope teams into committing a ridiculous number of crosses. And it just keeps like Jason said, it's happened three times now in the last month. And I I don't understand why teams keep falling for it, but I really hope they do. Um, it's not that much fun to watch, but it's effective. And I'd rather win games at this point in the season. But we do have to indicate um, Portland was shorthanded. This was not the best Timbers lineup. Um, That's no true. Brian they were Fernandez, missing some attackers. No Sebastian Blanco. If Blanco is out there, he is not hitting dumb crosses over and over again. He is trying to, to run at people and do other stuff. Um, if Fernandez is out there, they're getting better off the ball runs. Um, so yeah, DC it's those off the ball runs and one touch, two touch passing that, exactly. that would undo DC um, United and Diego Valeri could be a part of that, but he needs someone to do it with, I guess. I, I mean, I hope that those guys are being rested for their midweek game against the Red Bulls. It would be great yes. if Portland then, um, deployed two of their best attackers and then ripped the Red Bulls to shreds. That would be very helpful and fun. Um, we'll find out on Wednesday, but, uh, yeah, the, the Portland only had four field players in uniform. Um, so they had five subs total. Um, this was not them at their best, and that probably also played a factor. I mean, DC did a good job of what they were trying to do. And we said this, we talked uh, with uh, Will Conwell last week, and we said this is what we expect DC to do. He said this is what DC should do. And they went and did exactly what everyone thought, and it worked like a charm because Portland is bad at, playing against that um and so you know credit to dc for getting the job done but also like we should be realistic like this was not a good portland timbers uh, on the day this was pretty bad all right say you're at work and uh something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, or, or or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Also pretty bad. Uh, the go. professional referees organization had a pretty bad day in Portland. I'm not sure any of them actually watched the game, even though several were in attendance. Um, Drew Fisher, the referee, several moments. I'm not sure he was actually watching, including one very blatant handball by a Portland player on the ground, just 
smacking the ball with his hand late in the game. Obvious yellow card in between the assistant referee and and the center ref. No call whatsoever. Uh, Ricardo Salazar, the VAR for the day, also not watching the game. Um, there was a, a a pretty blatantly clear, from my perspective, goal that that we've alluded to several times already on this episode. It would have been the second own goal, and y- you hate to see own goal have a goal disallowed after the the 2013 he had for DC United, but you know. Them's the breaks. Uh, Rooney sent in a corner kick. It bounced around a little bit, went into the goal. And as it crosses the goal line, Eric Williamson, DC United Academy product, who now plays for Portland, uh, clears it out. But on replay, the goal line camera showed it uh, just barely clearing the line, but pretty clearly clearing the line. Uh, Should have been 2 nothing. Ricardo Salazar sees the replay, says, nah, I don't think it's clear and obvious. I don't know how. Uh, I don't know why he didn't take a longer look at it, but he didn't even ask for the longer look. Cause that's the finger to the ear yeah. is the like, hold on a second. Let me look at this. Uh, just, you know, delay the next play for a moment. He didn't yeah. even do that. No, he didn't give himself a chance to look at the review, which as the VAR is pretty bad. Look like yeah. taking, taking a 15 second review just to make sure seems worth it. It's that that's it's a goal. A lot. It's not nothing. It's yeah. a goal. Yeah, this isn't right. a and yeah. The the center ref is ultimately responsible for all of the decisions. So even if you th- even if Ricardo Salazar thought it was a goal, he should at least give Drew Fisher twenty seconds to to review it. Yeah, it, it just. I mean, and Drew Fisher had no reason to think it it was a goal from his angle. It probably didn't look like one because it did just barely cross it. Like if his AR and his VAR are both saying no goal. On that one, I'm, I, I can't even be mad at Drew Fisher, but Ricardo Salazar, you have one job. Yeah, Your that's job what I'm saying. I, I was saying yeah. Ricardo Salazar should have told Drew Fisher to just for the, his credibility, just yeah. let, let and, him review it for 20 seconds. Like, and we've been we've had our criticisms of some ESPN broadcasting decisions in the past, um, but I think they did a good job of making sure to show viewers the goal cam view that they had, and then also. Um, from what I could tell, getting more information in the background so that Taylor Twelman could come in and, and explain that, yes, uh, VAR had access to these cameras. They had they had a view of this. After the game, Twelman posted a photo of monitors, what was available inside the VAR booth, and in- included a still of the ball very clearly, like two inches over the goal line. Like, you had plenty of daylight. Um, and they had access to it, and they just didn't, do anything about it which is maddening because it's not even it's not like oh you know was that a trip or not a trip uh, where where there's an argument it's this was a factual thing we have a still proving it and it just was like and "Ah." it's not it's not like offside when the cameras are all at weird angles and you have to use weird telemetry to to get it exactly right it's a goal line with a goal line camera who that just looks down the goal line and and it's very clear and one thing that that got me was there was also a a camera on the other side of the goal closer to where the ball crossed the line and if Twelman is right uh the way he explained it on the broadcast that's the angle that salazar decided to use but the still that mls provided 
was not when the ball was in contact with the foot. So it could still move further into the goal. It was not a definitive shot in any way, shape or form. What, what they put on the broadcast as the definitive shot that MLS was using. It made no sense whatsoever. And I just wanted to bring up one more thing. Cause I just looked up the laws of the game. Uh, the goal line itself is paint. It it can bleed a little bit, but the what the laws of the game says is that the goal post and the goal line are supposed to be the same width. So yes. if it passes the goal post, it's in. So if you, I saw some people saying like, "Oh, the goal line was different than the goal," post. That, that that's nothing. So well, there, there's the old saying of the whole of the ball over the whole of the line, and that's probably causing people to focus on the paint on the ground. Um, But there was a blade of grass that was bent that way and it was white. Right. Uh, But no, in in this case, like line or post or crossbar, it was passed all in. It was all in. Um, And, you know, I'm glad that DC didn't lose their minds over it or um, lose lose their way, lose focus and let this result slip away. Because I do have the feeling that if they had like lost their heads for five minutes there and conceded before halftime, that we're talking about a 3-1 loss. Um, yeah, the way the game would have played out from that point. Um, I tweeted it from the site account. Like, yes, it's very frustrating. It's just obviously a terrible call. But if DC wants to be a team that does something in the playoffs, they're probably going to have to overcome another bad break like this in a tough game. So go overcome this tough break. Um, I mean, let's be honest. DC is lucky to be in the situation they're in. Um, their place in the standings is fortunate. Um, when you look at expected goals, if you think back to specific games, um, this is a team that has already kind of gotten enough lucky breaks. And in this game, they got some lucky breaks. The uh, Valeri header off the post, Morera's cross that that hit the crossbar. Um, you know, they they caught you know the Junior Moreno challenge that um, uh, I can't even remember who went down on that one, but um, wasn't given as a penalty and maybe could have been. Um, yeah, they got they got their fair share of luck to the, such an extent that um, as much as we're focused on it, I also, I feel like we should pay some attention to the fact that they caught their breaks too and have caught breaks all season. So I'm glad that they didn't just let this bad, this obviously terrible break derail what, what became a very important win because the way the results went elsewhere, this game effectively cinched. I mean, it didn't mathematically cinch their playoff spot, but it effectively did. I want to find a happier note to end this segment. So I'm going to say that the USL championship of which Loudoun United is a part is having some kind of contest right now where every team has jerseys representing where they are or their culture or whatever. And Loudoun decided we don't care about Loudoun County for this specific purpose. We're going to make a DC jersey and it is fire and you should go vote for it. Uh, I don't have the website in front of me, but look for USL championship jerseys or whatever. You'll find it. And it's a great Jersey. There are some other really good ones too. As someone from Indiana, Indy 11s, I I strongly approve of as well. There are some just really good jerseys there that are very fun. And MLS should take a note from their partners and freaking do this at some point because it would be really fun and really good. So earlier in the show, I said that we would have uh, a friend on in the second segment. That was a lie. Not technically. It was unintentionally a lie because we're, we're actually trying something new this week. We are breaking the show into two separate episodes. Uh, 
the same show you've come to know and love or not. But uh, this show is going to come out when it does. The next uh, segment with uh, with our friend Mark Kastner from Sounder at Heart will come out later in the week. So you get the breakdown of Portland now and you get the preview of Seattle a little later. So that said, thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com, patreon.com slash filibuster, twitter.com slash filibusterdcu or blackandredu, filibusterpodcast at gmail.com, iTunes, Twitter. iTunes, you, you don't get podcasts on Twitter, do you? No. You get them elsewhere. Never iTunes, SoundCloud, that. Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts, get us there. Tell a friend about the show. Thank you so much for listening. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. We're excellent podcasters. Fact. <laughs> <laughs>